Welcome to Beat the Block, a podcast powered by BeatStars, the world's number one marketplace to buy and sell beats. This is a show where we go deeper than the surface and talk about the best producers and artists in the game, not just about their successes, but also the blocks, dark times, mental health, and unpaid work that comes along with it. More importantly, we find out they bounce back and turn their downsides into upsides to make a career out of doing what they love so you can too. Get ready to experience this episode of Beat the Block. What's good, everybody? This is your friendly neighborhood host, Ill Brown. What's really good, world? It's your man, Trox. Yo, and this is your girl, Candy. And once again, it's on. You are live with the Beat the Block podcast. The gang's all here. Shout out to our producer, John. And we got a super dope guest today. I'm beyond excited, if you can't already tell. Trox, you know what, bro? I'm going to let you and Candy do this one. Let's 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 switch it up a little bit. Y'all no introduce doubt. our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have two people as our guests. It's not just two people, they are blood brothers. Yeah, they have placements with E40, Little Pump, Rico Nasty, and it's just too many more to name. So let's please give a round of applause and welcome the brothers with Bankrolls. Bankroll got it. You already know. How's it going, guys? Hey, what's good? What's good? What's good? Yeah, I don't even think people know that we're two people, you know what I mean? So this is a, might be a new thing. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Appreciate having us on here. No doubt, man, no doubt. You know, sometimes it's just one of those things where it's like teamwork make the dream work. And you guys are definitely making the dream work right now. Yeah, <laughs> we're trying, yep. That's dope, man. Hope everything is well with you guys, especially with the quarantine and everything. Everything looks like it's moving towards us, you know, getting back to normal soon, hopefully. So hope all is well with you guys. It's been a little, it's been good to cook up, you know, at home just every day, but it's been really boring. So I can't wait to get back to the session. Man, that's a, that's 100% facts, man. So without further ado, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this thing, if you don't mind. Got some good questions. So first off... You guys haven't shown your image in public. What's the science to that, man? I'm I'm super intrigued to know what's what's the what's the science behind that. So Joel and then my brother Taylor's on here, right? Um, so our, our last name is Banks, which is why we're called Bankroll. Got it, right? But really, we wanted we just felt that you know our sound and our brand. It's not that we're embarrassed to show ourselves. We just you know feel like the brand could be bigger if you know kind of keep it mysterious to let the music speak and then. Um, that's kind of the approach that we've just been taking for the last year and it's been working for us. So it's not that we like to hide it. It's just we feel that this is this just helps our image until we get to a point where, you know, we're doing enough interviews where it's OK. So, yeah, it's been good. It's been working good. People think we live in Atlanta. People think, you know, <laughs> they just make up stuff in their head and it's all good stuff. But we're actually based out of L.A. So it's a little different than what people probably imagine we look like. Yeah, they can think whatever they want to think, and, and we just let the music speak. That's super dope, man. Yeah, definitely want to let the music speak, man. So in regards to that, do you guys, like, in those rare opportunities, you guys do have to show face or something? Do you guys wear a mask like MF <laughs> Doom or something like that? Anything creative like that that you guys got going on? Yeah, now with the quarantine, maybe, maybe we should keep that image. But now I know we'll pull up anywhere. Like, that's always been our thing we'll talk about just... We had to go to Atlanta, we'll fly to Atlanta, to New York, you know, wherever. So people that know us know who we are. It's just on the internet, you know what I mean? People just don't know what it looks like yet. We actually have our close friends on Instagram is actually just for people that know what we look like, you know what I mean? I could dig that, man. I could dig that. So for people online who, who are constantly asking, like, man, why, why are you guys not showing your face online, man? What's one of the, the main answers you, you're providing for them? Because you know how everybody on social media wants to be in your business. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. We just let those DMs sit. So it's all good. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, man. No doubt, man. So you and Joel uh, had a group before, man. Uh, of course, it fell apart. What made you guys come back together to work with, uh, work together again on, you know, Bankroll Got it? Joel, he was actually in a group with two of his buddies, like, way back. And I was kind of just doing it as a hobby, just kind of sending them beats every once in a while. But Joel, you can kind of talk about like that past group and what happened. So, I mean, I've been producing probably for 10 years now. And I started in my, in college, my buddies just convinced me like, yo, like I was always just playing around with stuff. And they're like, yo, we could be good at this. So we ended up 
making a run for it. We had an artist and he was really talented and just things didn't work out the way, you know, you always think they would. And fast forward like for eight years after that, my little, little brother, so actually there's three of us, the little, little brother started making beats and, you know, I'd be like, oh yeah, these are cool, you know, and then he started getting better. And and at that point in, in my career, I, I pretty much had almost even quit music like kind of like oh i guess it didn't work out kind of stuff you know you know depressing but that's kind of where i was and then he got me back into it i was like you know what we might as well just play around this time just for fun and kind of see what happens and then once taylor got wind that we were doing this he jumped on and taylor's the kind of uh out of the family he wanted to travel like like i did and i was doing sales at the time so i, I knew how important it was to now have face-to-face connections with people so we started flying to LA because we were from the Bay Area. So we fly down to LA, fly to Atlanta, anywhere we could to try to meet some artists. And that's where things really started picking up. So it was almost like, this is probably my third venture in music. So third time's a charm kind of thing where all of a sudden it started working out when it was with the family. You got know? you, got you. I was more into like the business of it in the beginning. And um, so like, I knew it would be hard for him to like break into the industry by himself. So I would just fly with him and just, kind of be there just to make it easier to approach people, just to talk to people, introduce ourselves to people we never met and just like did that for years. And then finally I was just like, you know what? I've been making beats kind of on the side. I'm just gonna do a full time with you. And then we just kind of hit the ground run. That's awesome, man. So uh, being that it is a family affair, how do you guys make the dynamic work with uh, mixing business and family, man? Like, I can't stand my brother and shit like that, so I would never in a million years want to do business with him. How do you guys pull it off and make it work? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Joe, what do you think? <laughs> well, I mean, me and Taylor have always been real close. We've been blessed to, like, uh, and our little brother, Matt. We're almost like best friends anyway, you know what I mean? So it just, I guess we're lucky in the sense that we're all very similar. We have similar interests and, you know, when it's family, it's easier to approach bad situations and, and talk it out as opposed to someone that, even if it's your friend, it's a little different. So they always say, I know, don't do business with family, but uh, for us, it works out pretty well because we could really talk to each other and be serious when, you know, if there's any conflict, but usually it's been working out great so far, you know, so. Any examples, any examples of, uh a time where maybe Matt or, you know, one of you guys uh, did something crazy and it was like... <laughs> I mean, no, there's not any good stories like that. It's just mostly like Taylor will handle more of the financial side, you know, and I'm more on the creative side. So... Got you. There's, you know, a lot of times you have to deal with splits and deal with uh, working with other producers and whatnot. And just Taylor has a good handle on that. And he, he, and he challenges me on, you know, the business side of things like we should be spending this money here or you know we should not be spending all this money and doing this and, and stuff like that so those you know money conversations are always the toughest so when it's family it's, it's a lot easier you know that's what's up that's what's up we have the same goals in mind too so it like it makes it pretty straightforward like what we're trying to to accomplish so like we've always had those goals so it's it makes it easier when you're bringing someone else in you don't know really what they want how to how they approach it their lifestyle kind of thing so it's just kind of more straightforward when it's family Absolutely, man. That's good stuff right there. So, uh, you know, you guys uh, have been hustling, you know, rent studio time, bunch of different cities, hitting up rappers to do sessions. What's the game plan behind that? Like, uh, I, I know you guys have had a lot of success with that, but uh, what made you guys embark on that strategy? When I was doing sales for a company before this, I realized, you know, the, the face-to-face connections are the most important. I think a lot of times, in, on even on like podcasts for producers and everything, people always say networking is key. And I think a lot of producers think that just means show up to a conference and talk to people in a room. That's not what networking means. Networking means you got to meet the people that you're doing business with or that you, you may have met through email or through DMs or whatever, right? So I knew then it's so important to fly down to wherever we could to meet these people because once they see your face, it's weird how humans work where even if you just say hi to somebody you met in person, the chance that they're going to open that email up or start you know, really working with you goes so much higher than if you just kept sending emails because people are getting emails all day. Um, and we realized too that these artists, when they're in the studio, is very rare, at least if you know the signed artists and, and that are popping or whatever, they, they're not just sitting around a room going, huh, I wonder what beats I'm going to open up on my email today, right? They're always with an A&R or with, a, or with another producer or booked in a session with another artist. It's very rare that that they're sitting around just looking at beats. So that's why you've got to make sure you pull up and try to get that session with them or, or build that relationship so you can be in the room with them so you can control the session, you know? 
Absolutely. I definitely had a lot of experiences where a lot of my placements that I do have uh, in the industry have all come through face-to-face studio sessions, man. Uh, uh, Walk me through a time where, uh, you know, you guys were throwing that idea out there and, you know, you guys finally hit one out the park. Like, what it was, was it a certain artist and you guys kind of adapted that formula after that or... It all depends because I think a lot of our records actually, they came from meeting them in person and doing a session and then sending packs later on and then the song hit. So a lot of our placements came that way. But for the most part, once we got our studio set up in L.A., so when we decided to go full time, quit our jobs, move to L.A. and rented out space, every day we were having artists pull up. So we would just be lighting people up like who could come work. It's a free studio. Just come work. We realized, you know, a lot of artists... Even if they're signed to labels, they don't um, they don't always have record t- or, uh, recording time booked, or they may not have any more budget left in their you know artist or record budget. So that was the spot for them to go. Hey, let's go work at Bankroll. We got to work on their beats, but at least it's free. They don't have to worry about it. And that formula really worked for us uh, because every night you have a chance at a placement. You know what I mean? So I think it's really important to have your own studio so you can c- control the amount of workflow that you have coming through. Otherwise, if you don't have a studio, you got to wait for someone to invite you and, you know, and that may never happen. So once we did that, that's really when things started taking off. And now we're starting to see the results this year, you know, like six months down since we opened because we had so many sessions. Like we really had a session every day with an artist. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, a lot of success, man. And uh, formula's working really good for you guys. What was a major low point where things weren't going so well when you guys maybe were first starting out uh, with this approach and everything. Enlighten us on on some of those moments. In terms of low points, there definitely was a a point where we had been doing this for two to three years, like really going heavy into it. And we were getting small placements, but we weren't getting to a point where we're getting a lot of streams or really we weren't making any money. We were giving everything away for free. And I know I was starting to think like, man, I don't know if this is gonna happen for us. And then, we kind of went back to the drawing board, got a little bit more creative, tried some new sounds. Like we, we were listening to a lot of music, like kind of recrafting our sound, trying to be unique. We got one with uh, Got It and it started like taking off. And then we got the one with Mulatto. They kind of started ticking off at the same time a little bit. And then we're like, oh shit, okay. So this is our sound right now. So then we kind of took that and ran with it. But there definitely was a point before that where it's like how do you even break in you know and for us it was just having like one record one unique sound that kind of separated us from every other producer so like until we found that we didn't really know what our sound was going to be it was just confusing about like how the hell are we going to get in to the industry what was different about the ones that did break through uh did you guys choose to experiment with maybe some different sounds or what prompted the success of the ones that did work out versus the ones that didn't? So it was, it was interesting. So I, you know, we've always stayed close to the artists we work with. So we really had a good relationship with Asian Doll and we worked with her a lot. So, you you know, when you're following an artist and as producer, you're almost like an FBI agent. We, you know, you're looking at their stories, trying to see what who's cutting what, because artists don't tell you when they're cutting beats. You know what I mean? So for us, we're trying to always figure out, is this person cutting or who's in the studio? You know, that kind of stuff. But by doing that, you'd watch who these two, like Asian Doll was working with or, or some of the other artists we worked with. Who are they working with? And you start tapping into, oh, this artist is kind of dope too. And, and we ended up, we ended up listening to a lot of Dallas artists at the time, like, uh, the, the kid 10k cash who did the woe dance and uh you know molly sensi and, and tay money and all those kind of artists and i we love the texas sound so um we kind of were influenced by that and then created our own version of it and we're just playing around with some beats there was the, we had a, a weekend booked out in la where you know, what we would do we'd fly to la book out a studio for the whole weekend and try to get anybody to pull up and we, we had some riders pull up and I think the whole weekend, the only beats that were cut were these new beats in the whole pack of all the beats we had. There was like three beats, which actually ended up being the Mulatto record, the Got It record, and the OT Genesis Look at That Ass record. But those first three beats, every rider only cut those. And we realized at that point, we're like, okay, we got, I think we got something here. You know, these beats are working. Nobody wants to cut anything else. So then we expanded on that sound. And that's really where we, you know, took off from there. So speaking of Asian Doll, let's go back to that. That was a major breakthrough for you both. Can you share the story of how you met her and and how you got placements with her? So when we were just starting out, we would go to conferences like 
the ASCAP conference, A3C, and a bunch of other like South by a bunch of other big music conferences. And um, we would just go to try and meet as many people as possible. So during the day, we would go to some of like the sessions and, and that kind of stuff. And then at night, we'd go to all the different shows, see what artists are performing, and then try and introduce ourselves, get their email, etc. So I think it was, Joel, was it South by or was it A3C where we met? It was A3C. A3C. Yeah. So yeah, so it's in Atlanta. We go to their show. It's kind of a smaller venue, so it's like more approachable. And the artists, they were performing. And then once they were done, they were just like kicking it with the rest of their people and watching the other shows. So she just finished her performance and we were like blown away. So Joel, you can kind of explain when we introduced ourselves to her. Yeah, it was actually funny. Um, so this at the time, this is like about three years ago. So like Asian Doll and Cuban Doll were together at that point. And uh, I ended up going up to Cuban Doll and trying to introduce herself to get the email. And she thought I was hitting on her. And uh, she just looked at me and just said no and turned back around, that's it. Didn't even answer my question, and, every, and all the everybody else around her started laughing, and I was like, "Oh, what the fuck!" And then they felt bad, and then they ended up talking to us. They're like, "Yo, we're just producers. We want to, you know, want your email." Um, so it was actually a, it was a funny way to get introduced. And then Asian Doll's manager invited us to the house studio they had at the time, and then we ended up starting to work with her. And of course, at that time, we were just giving out beats for free, so we were just happy even you know to work with her because she had a buzz going on in Atlanta at the time. And we pretty much stayed in contact. And then two years later, it took about two years for her to get signed. When she got signed to uh, Alamo uh, through the, the Gucci venture and everything, um, we ended up getting five on that album. And that's really what started it for us. Uh, we ended up flying to New York to go to the album release party. And then we got to meet the whole Alamo team, met Goddard's people. And then a month later, our manager was pressing them with packs. And then we got the, the Hood Babies record from that. So it just shows how important it is to even meet the team, the A&R team, so you could stay in touch with them. And I don't think if we if we didn't fly out there that day, we probably never would have got those placements, you know? Yeah, and I think I think that Asian Doll session might have been one of the first sessions ever in person that we had with like a new up and coming artist. Uh, like, I think before that, we were just trying to send as many emails as possible, but we didn't get into the studio and, and work with people. I think that was one of the first ones. Man, that's super dope. Consistency paying off. <laughs> like this is a true story of, of like how being consistent pays off along with all of the other incentives of doing, you know, sessions for free. Let's backtrack a little bit. When was that like fuck this shit moment? We're going full time because a lot of producers are in that in between stage, one foot in, one foot out. So can you describe like what that tipping point was when you guys decided that this is what we're going to do, um, you know? No questions asked, let's just go ahead and go all in. I think a lot of people maybe do that uh, maybe a little bit too early. Like they really believe in themselves and they just go for it. For us, we were believing ourselves, but it was more like a financial kind of thing that made us come down here. So once we were like making enough money to be able to support ourselves and quit our other jobs, then we knew the music money was coming and, and you know we wanted to make sure there was more of that music money, but it was kind of like a financial thing where it's like we were turning down more opportunities than we could take on because we had full-time jobs during the day and we were passing up on a bunch of money. So it got to a point where it was just like, hey, like our wave is coming and we may miss our wave because like a lot of people want our sound right now. So it was kind of those two things. It was like the money was gonna support us and also our sound was starting to blow up a little bit where we didn't want to miss it. So um, we both kind of made the decision at the same time and um, moved down to LA probably August of last year, so 2019. But yeah, like you hear about a lot of people, or, and actually we see a lot of people, sometimes they, they move and go full time a little bit too early and LA is not a cheap place. So it catches up with you real quick and then you got to move back home and et cetera. So it's nice to have like you got to have your day job and get your money right, get your placements and then, you know, make a smart decision where you can really go full time. My man 14KT once told me I was thinking about going to L.A. at one point. Right. So like he always told me this. Don't come to L.A. unless you have a plan. Definitely. Straight up and down. If you don't have a plan, L.A. will eat you up and spit you out alive. L.A. is a weird place because it's like. A lot of people think that if you have a, a job 
that you're not making it or that you're a loser. You know what I mean? Like there's a mentality like, oh, you have a nine to five. I thought you were an artist. You're a loser if you're working, whatever. And it's so stupid because it takes money to make money. Like you, like we would never be able to travel or fly to the places we needed to go to if we didn't have some money behind it, you know? And, and I'll be honest, like even though we had jobs, I put myself in a lot of debt, just, you know, spending more, too much money, but just trying to get everywhere. But if you don't have a job, like we would pull up to LA and, you know, and even some people that we would work with, we would do more in one weekend than they did in a month. And like, and I didn't understand, like, what were you guys doing out here? If you don't have a job, you're sitting around making beats, like, why do you not know the people that we're starting to meet when we only pull up for one weekend a month? You know what I mean? So mm. I think you could do it with a job. You just got to be smart and use that money to your advantage and, and rent out studios and get artists in there, you know? The first three years before we really started making money when we were giving beats away for free, we were probably spending close to like 20 grand a year just in flights, Airbnbs, studio time, uh, alcohol for the artists. Just w like when you take the whole year, it was easily 20 or more thousand a year. So like it took me and Joel's side, like our, our full-time job money to be able to actually get us in the door and then you know now we're full-time at the music but it takes a lot of money i mean unless unless you're just like you hang out with a lot of artists you're just in that inner circle already when you're not and you need to break into these inner circles it takes money and it takes time and yeah it takes a it takes a lot I guess one of the other questions regarding like working full time, how are you mentally able to balance that? Because I think that's one of the biggest issues a lot of people have. I'm working this full time job that I don't really want to do with my life. And then afterwards, I'm exhausted trying to come home and make beats to then put the plan together to try to get it with some artists and, and break through. So how are you guys able to mentally overcome that? Yeah, that, I mean, that's just a tough one in general. Um, you know, we'd be exhausted or there'd be times we'd fly a 24 hour trip down to LA to meet someone to work with them and then have to fly back at like 5 a.m. after a long session and then have to go to work at like 8 a.m., you know? So it was painful and it, it was unhealthy. I mean, I'm still not the healthiest to this day, but you just gotta, you know, you gotta grind it out sometimes and it was miserable. That's why it was nice when we finally went full time that it was a lot more, and a lot of stress was lifted from us because we were killing our bodies just, you know, keeping up with that lifestyle of double life, you know? Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a lot of like four hour, five hour, you know, night sleeps or an hour a night sleeps, you know, leading up to it. But um, Joel, I mean, Joel, you want to talk more about because because to be honest, I came in a little later. Joel's really been working and making beats on the side for close to 12 years. And just recently, we're starting to make money. So, Joel, maybe you talk more about how you just stuck with it for that long. I guess I'm so addicted to the to, to the music that it's like I probably would still be doing this even if I wasn't making money. You know what I mean? So for me, it's always been about for some reason, I just knew that I was going to do it. I just didn't know when and I, I, I just wouldn't stop. So I'm kind of like a weird workaholic in that way. Um, a lot of people talk about work-life balance. I have a terrible work-life balance, it's all work. But for me, this is like my life vacation. So every day I'm having more fun. Like when I go on vacations, I'm stressed. I'd rather just be working, you know what I mean? So Thinking about work when you're on vacation, huh? <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, I even tell up and coming artists, I'm like, yo, would you be doing this in 10 years right now? You're 30 something years old, would you still be an artist? And most of them will say no. Then I'm like, all right, well quit right now because like this shit takes a lot of time and, and you really got to go hard or you're never going to make it because there's millions of producers out there and everybody I know in L.A. that's making it. They're working when you're not working. So, you know, that's what stresses me out. But it's it's a good problem to have because I love what we do. But, yeah, you got to be addicted to this stuff or you'll never, never make it. Yeah. To switch gears, you guys have a different perspective than a lot of producers on giving away beats. Um, can you break down when and where you think producers should give you know free beats so there's that whole no free beats movement you know in the producer world that you hear about a lot and i definitely respect that message because yes we deserve to get paid for our beats don't get me wrong but i think that message gets twisted in a lot of up-and-coming producers heads thinking that every time they make a beat and someone wants to use it they should get paid right um and this is just our opinion but you know there's a, there's a value system in music right like as, as much as you could be the best trained musician in the world, if you're making rap beats, it's a freaking hobby. Let's be honest, right? This is a fun dreamland that 
when it actually works, you're lit, but when it doesn't work, you know, you're just playing around on your computer making beats, right? So why, you know, where is your value until you build up credibility? That's just how this is supply and demand, right? So we always thought when you're working with artists, right, if the artists can bring a good look for your career, like they're, you know, bigger than you, so to speak, or have a lot more views and, and could help you, just be easy. Give the beats for free. Don't charge them because the artists don't have budget anyway. People think that if they have 2 million, 3 million followers that they're they're rich or they have budget. If they're independent, they got no money. You know what I mean? We work with artists and they pull up to the studio and then we'd have to pay for their Uber back. Like the music struggle is real, right? Nobody has money until it's either you're broke or you're rich in music. It's, it's you know, so... So when you're working with an artist, you give the beats for free. And if someone's you feel is below you, then charge them. You know what I mean? So you got to kind of figure it out. The value system. If they provide you value, give the beats. If if you think you're more valuable than they are, charge them, right? Um, and everybody's different. You know, if, if you really need the money, then maybe you, you have to charge people because that's what you're doing. But if you can afford to do it this way, like it goes a long way being really easy to work with, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, everything's situational, but you guys definitely hit the nail on the head. And it's proven that, you know, it's, it's about leverage. Definitely, because what, what happens, I see it a lot. Let's say you're working with a mid-level artist who has a buzz, maybe had a song go viral, right? And, and I see a lot of producers, they get in contact with these artists and artists have no budget. And when it comes time to drop the song, they start, a lot of producers, I think, hear that the music business will screw you over so they they got to be extra i'm a ceo boss you know i, I got to make sure i handle my business right and they, they become so difficult to work with where they i just watch producers blow opportunities all the time right they they go oh no bro like you know this beats three thousand dollars and the artist can't afford that or they kill placements that way like if you would just be easy and just let the shit go through that look is so good that then you could charge a bunch of other people a thousand dollars a beat or you go on beat stars and all of a sudden you have a you know a song that's going viral and now you could put a bunch of beats on there and you start to make money so a lot of people are stuck on that one placement mindset where they don't realize a credit goes a long way and just just be easy to work with you know yo what up il brown i'm thinking of signing up for beat stars what's your experience like Man, bro, B-Stars came through for me at a tough time, man. Uh, of course, the industry is much different now. It gave me a platform where I didn't have to build my own website, and I was able to upload my beats and sell them and engage with the community, man. I had a crazy first month, man. Did like 4K in sales. Wow. And I've been a fan and a member of B-Stars ever since. Sign up on B-Stars to start making money with your beats. Go to bit.ly slash beattheblock1. Again, that's bit.ly slash beattheblock1. Peace. So you guys gave Asian Dow the beats for free and then ended up getting paid after she got signed. Um, can you explain how that worked? Yeah, so that, that was back in the time when we were giving everyone our beats for free. I mean, everyone that we wanted to work with beats for free. And it worked out because when you have these artists that have a lot of followers, have a buzz, but they're not signed, they're kind of on the brink of getting signed, try and get as many records with them as possible because when they do get signed, the first thing that the, the label's gonna do is probably drop an EP and it's probably gonna be songs that they already have recorded. So right off the bat, you know, she got signed and then within probably like a month or so, her project came out and then she had worked with us so much and we were so easy giving away stuff for free that I don't remember how many tracks were on the album, but yeah, we got five of them. So, you know, we gave away beats for free for a while. And, you know, if we charged her even like a couple hundred bucks for those, we probably wouldn't have had so many records. But then once she got signed, we got 2000 a beat so that's five. So we got 10, 10 racks just like overnight for all the songs that we had been making with her. So it ended up like the strategy ended up paying off. And then we, you know, basically realized that we started trying to duplicate that strategy, tap into more artists that are kind of on the brink of getting signed. And just because we don't really, we don't even really like charging indie people. Like beats cost a lot of money and I don't want to get that money from, from someone's pocket. Like I'd rather get it from the labels because they have budget. So you charge people that are indie for free and work with the best people and then, you know, wait for that label money. It's, it's a lot more. Actually, and I have a good example of how a situation could have been really screwed up, but thank God we handled it the right way and it benefited. So when um, Mulatto dropped Bitch from the South, right? 
So she was an independent artist, and I think at the time it was her dad was her manager, and she, you know, she would just drop songs, and so she would she didn't even tell us that the song dropped, right? All of a sudden it was just out there, and um, it was one of those beats that we started working on a new sound, so we were kind of protecting those beats, and a lot of artists wanted that particular beat, and they were signed, so we were hoping to get a placement, and then you know she dropped it, and we were like, oh shit, like you know, so our, our homies are telling us like. Yo, bro, you better go after her and, you know, you, you got to tell her to take that shit down, bro. She didn't pay for it, blah, blah, blah. And we're kind of like, yeah, you know, yeah, we get it. But our mentality is always, let's just see what happened and see if we could talk it out. You know what I mean? So thank God we got a hold of her and her uh, management. She ended up being signed to Streamcut, which is a dope company out of Atlanta who did a really good job with that record. But um, they were like, oh, yeah, my bad. We were trying to figure out who the producer was. You know what? Here, we'll pay you for the beat, right? So I don't even know what we got, but it was it was more than we were getting at the time or, or right in that ballpark. And um, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll also credit you on the YouTube. So they put our name on the YouTube. They go, my bad about that. We're get, just getting things through with her, but this is going to be a big record. We're really going to push it. And it ended up, we're like, oh, this is awesome. Like, thank God we just called and asked what was going on instead of, like, sending some stupid email like, yo, you take this down or, like, you know cussing them out on the phone that a lot of people would have done. And then now, a year and a half later, that record that dropped without our permission, we could have screwed it up, is now about to go gold probably. And it's our biggest song to date. It's on the radio now, Urban Radio. Um, I think it's like number 33. Nice. Congratulations. So, and I think it's still going to grow, but it's all because we we just let, you know, we, we didn't screw that situation up, which I think a lot of people would have done. Do you guys feel some type of way? This is a question I just got to ask. When you have an indie artist, or I know that at least starting out, so you have an indie artist that you're working with, um, and I know you guys put a great strategy together, but one of the things producers struggle with is like, the indie artists don't pay you for the beat, but then they pay for the session. If they're working out of another studio, they pay for the video, they pay for the photographer <laughs> and they pay for everything else that didn't make you guys feel some type of way in the beginning like before this whole strategy worked out that's a good question because what we noticed and especially with the female rappers at least um they are not paying for the session they're not paying for the video they are not paying you know everybody's working for free you know what i mean so a lot of these photographers or up-and-comers they just want to be around the action they're doing that shit for free the videos are free you know a lot of the up-and-coming video guys um that we hear about they're all working for free so everybody's working for free that's that's why the shit works and when you find an artist that's indie that maybe they're not big yet but you see them consistently putting out content you should be working with those artists because at least it makes your beats look good even if you know they're never going to be a big song it, it makes you look like you're working with professionals you know what i mean so we always would choose to work with the people that had that team around them because we know i the worst thing you could do is give a beat to an artist who just drops it on soundcloud and that's it right and it happens so many times because the a lot of artists that we know about you know that aren't making it is because they love the lifestyle being in the studio more than they even actually love putting in the hard work to get the record to, to pop you know what i mean so you got to find the artists that know how to make a record pop but yeah that shit's all free like people no one's paying nothing when you're up and coming because you know it's the music business you don't make any money no one's making money you know until you do so great point so now that you have the studio but we're in this COVID situation i mean i know that some cities and states are opening up a little bit like how are you guys going to adapt yeah i think we're just going to have to see how the rules play out and you know be careful limit maybe the number of people in the studio obviously have you know hand sanitizer readily available but i guess it, we'll, we'll play it out safe you know on one hand it could be a benefit too because everything's closed and you know our, our studio looks like a miami nightclub where it's going to and it's done so people are going to want to pull up, you know what I mean? We'll just have to be careful about who they're, you know, what the artists are bringing. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But we'll, we'll try to keep it as safe as we can. Awesome. Awesome. So even though we're dealing with COVID, but, you know, just in general, uh, what should listeners, you know, listeners to this podcast do, you know, not just to get more placements, but make a, you know, living as a full time producer, man. Uh, any any advice you could give our listeners for that? Producers that want to make. Well, I guess. There's so many ways you can make it as a producer now, right? So, I mean, you guys proved with your platform that you can make a shitload of money selling beats on BeatStars, right? That, so that's there's a lot of producers that do that and make their money. Or um, 
I've noticed there's a big trend in loop making, right? There's a lot of producers that will just send loop packs out. Like we get loop packs all the time. And then there's guys like what we're trying to do, which we're really trying to build our image and try to be like, you know, the next super producer or whatever. So if we're just talking about our experience, it's really all about like we've been talking about. You got to meet these people. You know what I mean? Like our, our strategy that I would recommend to any producer up and coming is when you start to get traction on, on IG or on, um, like through email when, you, when people start responding to you. So basically, you know, we would light up as many emails as we could find and DM artists, 30 artists, you know, a day we DM them and then maybe two would respond. And, and we're talking about up and coming artists, like, like not even shooting for the stars. We're talking about getting to people that you can actually reach, right? And still maybe only two would respond. You get their email, you start sending up packs, they're responsive. Then when you realize there's a conference in the area or you want to fly to that location, Let's just say you're going to Atlanta and let's say you've talked to three or four people in Atlanta through email. Before you go, you better make sure you're letting them know I'm going to be in town. And, and you know, even if I could just meet you for five minutes, let me just pull up and introduce myself. You know what I mean? And that goes a long way. So I think you just got to get in front of these people, uh, meet them, be cool with them, try to get a session if you can. And by doing that, you will you know, make it so much faster than if you would just be sending packs out. you got to go to these places and meet these artists. Taking that approach it has even helped us on the BeatStars uh, side now also. So we hadn't really put any marketing towards our BeatStars. Our BeatStars has been up for a couple years and we really hadn't made that much money because we weren't marketing it very heavy. But now that we have a buzz, it's like we're getting people purchasing or leasing our beats like almost every day. So we'll get like 50, 100 bucks just coming in like this side money. So it's it seems like if you really target the artists that are gonna get signed to labels, it's really like an exp money's exponential model. So it's like, whether it's beat stars or labels, like the money just started and it's a lot more than we would have made if we had just tried to charge everyone up front. But, uh, but yeah, the beat stars has been helpful for a lot of side money that we're making now. Definitely. Hey, same here. I actually just made a sale today right after our live stream that we did this morning. So shout out to beat stars, man. We appreciate you. Switching gears, we all have hilarious industry stories, you know what I'm saying? Whether it's a, a studio session or a meeting or whatnot. Um, would you care to uh, share one or two with us? But I mean, our, in general, if you want, like our sessions are fun. We got a, we have a vending machine with Hennessy and Backwoods in it, right? Like, you know, the place looks like a nightclub. Our, our old place and now our new place can look even crazier. So we just kind of set that vibe. I mean, we've even had artists pull up to test records out, you know, bring girls almost like it's like a club, right? Um, and play their unreleased music. So it's been a good spot for to artists to come through and have, have a good time, you know? Wait a minute, wait a minute. So you have Hennessy and the vending machines. Is it like the little shot glasses that they serve? Or it's is like it like, the, uh, it's like pint? Is it like, like a pint, pints? the glass ones too, right? So Holy shit. Like, and we put it at the top and people would be like, Yo, why'd you put the top? It's going to break. I'm like, why don't you put $20 in the machine to find out, you know? Um, <laughs> and that shit will come crashing down, but it won't break, you know what I mean? But it, it's always a good time watching the Hennessy vending machine work. I got another story, um, and I actually wasn't even here. This is, this is a story about Joel, but the first night Joel ever met OT Genesis, I wasn't around. He flew into L.A., and he was kicking it with them. And... Um, they they drink a lot of like Don Julio the tequila. They drink a lot of stuff, but they they party pretty hard. So Joel goes there. He's like keeping up with them, taking shots, just shot after shot after shot. Basically, by the end of the night, Joel's like in the corner, like he ends up like puking on himself. Like he just gets way too lit. <laughs> and you would think that they would they would see Joel and just be like, "Yo, this guy's a clown. Like get him get him the fuck out of here." But actually it was like the opposite like they were like die hard they were like yo you family for life yo you went hard with us and then like, <laughs> like from then on takes, now we have like a relationship oh, yeah. with ot and ad and a bunch of those other guys <laughs> well i'm just thinking like i went to college like i'm out drinking these motherfuckers like let's go you know but wrong <laughs> i got ruined you like it was like worse than my 21st birthday like i was like unconscious for like five hours <laughs> so you know Producers don't do that. Like, just do not try to keep up. You know what I mean? But uh, oh, no, it was hey, a good hey, time, man. It was, it was fun. Rap life alert. <laughs> Rap yep. life. Yep. Going back to, you know, people, like, just finding out, like, bankroll is you guys, right? Yeah. Who had the funniest reaction? We were in Atlanta, right? So talk about us pulling up to Atlanta and then trying to figure out what to do. There ended up being a, I think it was a, uh, a race-shrembered, like, event. 
um, but mostly for their artists that they have signed to them um, or Mike, Mike Wills camp, something like that. So we were at some event and Slim's close to like a lot of the artists we work with. Like he knows Asian all well too and whatnot. So I guess he'd been hearing like about us and that you wouldn't believe what we look like kind of thing, you know? So I see him and I'm just like trying to introduce myself. Like goes, Slim, it's bankroll. And he looks at me and he goes, holy shit and he got so fucking excited he's like oh my god this is bankroll got it holy shit bro i just met you like he was more excited to meet me than i was to meet him and i was like yo this is crazy <laughs> i'm like this fool is like he was so fired up and then the rest of the night he would see me and he would just shout our name out like at the event um it was awesome he's like he's an awesome person but uh the shit was hilarious to me i'm like yo this is really working then if people want to know what we look like it's just going to help us well that's when i realized like damn okay maybe we won't show our face for a while maybe see how this thing plays out you know so on a more serious note, you guys have worked a lot. And I know, you know, Joe, you especially, I know you you guys are right now trying to find a, a work-life balance and you're trying to like look at self-care and you know, how do you improve in that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, basically me and Joel are on kind of two different sides of the spectrum. Like I'm married, I, I go home after sessions and you know, I got to spend time with my wife or I want to spend time with my wife, uh, clarify. But yeah, Joel is like, he's full-time in this here all the time, uh, like doesn't get much sleep kind of thing. So, and that's what's good about us being brothers too, is that I always had this girlfriend that turned into my wife and Joel understood that. So we could just kind of, we know each other's workflows. And at the end of the day, now that we're full-time in it, both me and Joel probably do get more sleep though. Um, so health-wise, it is probably a better situation than it was before when we were working full-time jobs. Um, but yeah, it's just like when you manage your life, it's, you think it's, it's going to be easy that, oh, I'm, I'm definitely going to be able to hit the gym. I'm definitely going to be able to eat right and do all these things. But, but then we still go crazy and say, yo, we need more beats. Like we got to get to the studio, work the whole day. And we still put off all that stuff, even though we control our schedule a hundred percent. So it's still hard and we need to get better at that. But it's just about prioritizing, you know, whatever's the priority at the moment. And maybe like quarantine, for example, maybe if you're slowing down a little bit, focus on health and, and I don't know, try and make working out a priority, fit it in at least a couple times a week. But, uh, the music stuff will stress you out too. People DMing us, people blowing us up. Yo, I need beats. I got, I'm in with this artist like tonight. I need him ASAP. So it's, it's a constant stressor, but at the end of the day, you got to take care of yourself first. So, um, you know, it feels like in the music business, whatever plan you have, it's going to get screwed up. Like, let's say, you know, I remember the first time I moved to LA, I was like, all right, I'm going to eat healthy. I went to the grocery store. Two days later, we fly to Atlanta. We have like session out there. So all my food, you know, goes away. And I'm like, great. So I can't even cook healthy for myself. And then this, this like the day you go to the gym for the first time is the day that you get a call like, yo, I need these beats right now from like a big artist you never thought would hit you up. And then you have to leave the gym and go work. You know what I mean? So like music will really screw you, screw with you. You know, you just, I guess, try your hardest. I, I'm, a, I'm horrible because I have like a ticking time bomb in my head of like, if I'm not working on music, someone else is, is working. You know what I mean? So it's always been my whole life. Like even when I'm hanging out with family, sometimes I feel bad because it's like, I feel like I can't even sit at the dinner table. Like I need to get back to work kind of, kind of stuff. So I don't know how I'm going to handle that to be honest, but it, it's still with me to this day. Like I just got to keep working always because everybody around me that I know that's killing it. I know they're working. So if I'm taking a day off, they're not, you know what I mean? So I don't that's not the right answer, but that's kind of how it is, you know. Any answer from you is the right answer, man. Like, we just we just wanted to have your insight on it, you know. So, what would, do you guys even have, like, a routine at all? Like, like I'm sure you guys have a routine, right? Yeah, so before quarantine, our schedule really was, you know, we're, like, more of, like, a 2 p.m. to 5 a.m. kind of schedule, right? So, we'd show up. Either we have some business to handle, contracts, whatever to go over, call our manager, whatever, and then make beats till about 8, 9, 10 p.m. And then we'd have a session from like 10 to 5, right? So in general, that was our, our schedule. And then quarantine, of course, we had a chance to kind of breathe a little bit because that is stressful. It's hard to be very creative when you're in a time crunch all the time, you know? So, so we did cook up a lot, and now we're hoping to get back to that other schedule. But, you know, it's fairly consistent that way, but you just never know what sessions are going to pop up or... Sometimes I remember when we first worked with Stone for Vegas, Taylor calls me and it's like 1.30. We had a late, late session the night before. Luckily, he saw our DM and called me, you know, uh, 
bear line, the A&R hit us up. It's like, yo, pull up to stunt session right now. We were, we got that an hour and a half ago. We're like, shit. So you wake up, whatever you had planned, you know, it could all change when you get that DM. And then we drove down to Paramount, wherever it was, ended up working with him. And that's how we got the, the do that record with the baby and little baby on it because you know we we've been talking to her and she just told us to pull up one day so if taylor wouldn't have seen that dm we probably would have missed that but yeah in general we try to like our schedule in general is just like we try to cook up during the day and then we try and have a session basically like almost every single night we did that for a while and then it even got to a point where we were doing too many sessions and we kind of had to cut back a little bit but but we kind of have the mindset that no matter what beats we need to create, a session is probably more valuable than just cooking up. So that always takes priority usually. So we just squeeze in cooking up in between sessions as best as possible. But, you know, with quarantine, we've obviously been able to cook up a lot because we're not really doing sessions right now. But, but in general, that, yeah, that's the goal. Uh, session every single day. On the business end, you know, finding your price point can be real tough. Um, how have you been able to find yours? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I think our manager, Sean, helped a lot with that. Because um, he, you know, and he works for a label too, so he understands that side of things. He works for Cinematic under Johnny Shipes. Um, what we found out is, so once, you know, of course, when artists are signed, they have budgets, so the labels pay for placement. So, you, you know, you're looking at anywhere from 500 to like 3,000, the range for up and coming producers. But essentially you always got to you know, build your credits and slowly raise your price, right? Um, and it's really a supply and demand kind of thing. Like people are not going to pay you what they don't think you deserve. Um, I don't care how late you think you are. There's a lot of times you'd be like, oh yeah, uh, I'll t uh, seven grand's our fee. And they go, ha, there's a thousand. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, you just slowly build it. Like you should expect probably 2,500, 3,000 range when you don't have that many credits. And then, you know, you just adding on. And Sean's good to tell us like, yo, we cannot accept anything lower than this you know what i mean then you also got to be strict once you are getting placements like because labels will take advantage of you to the point where if they know that they got it for a price before they're going to try to get that again so you got to be serious sometimes and say nope no matter what we cannot go under this and if you lose the placement um and it's not as important to your career you know you might have to make that sacrifice but Normally, our philosophy is always, you know, be as easy as we can, but also don't get disrespected, right? So um, there's, a, there's a line. But usually, if you have to take a $1,000 hit for a big credit, do it, right? Because you're going to be able to charge everybody else that same money that you you're losing a bunch of times over if you get that credit. So in theory, you should always want the record to come out, right? Because it, it always helps you. But if you're getting a disrespectful fee or something, or they're just not, you know, then you got to fight back, right? Yeah, and then and then just just recently, you know, me and Joel are pretty pretty nice with the uh, amount of money that we're invoicing. So, just recently, our manager kind of noticed that if we are giving labels a cheaper price, they're putting us in in a pool of a more up and coming producer pool, and then they're targeting us for more of their up and coming acts. So, another strategy that he's been doing, you know, because we do have a decent amount of credits that. You know, if, if our price point is a little bit higher, you get into kind of another category of producers where they're kind of only considering you for a little bit more of their major acts. Um, so that's kind of another philosophy that our managers kind of realizing that we don't want to be too nice because it, it does affect some of our big, like major placements. My, me and my manager, that's my best friend. Like we talk every day, every damn near every hour, really. Um, like. We always take it with a case, in a, as you know, case by case situation. You know, like is is it an indie label? Is it a major label? How big is the record? What do what kind of value do we bring to the table? Like you guys said earlier. So I just feel like that, like you know, things like that determine our price point. Yeah, we 100% agree with that because at the end of the day, we never we never don't want the song to come out you know, because of our price. So like you said, if it's an indie label, you know they don't have five grand, 10 grand budget. So you're gonna get the money you deserve while maybe taking a little bit of the of a hit because you want the song to come out. Because no matter what it is, if it's indie, if it's an up and coming guy, or if it's a major, a credit's a credit. And then that help builds up your price, that helps just your network and, and your net worth in general. So 
that's kind of our philosophy. Never lose a record based on our price. Definitely. I, I agree with that 100%. Essentially, the, the, the slogan should be, don't screw it up. That's, that's your slogan. Producers, stop <laughs> fucking right. up your business. Don't be stupid, you know? I like that a lot. I mean, a lot of people, they, they mess with their business for... You're, you're talking 500 bucks or an extra 250, and it's just in the grand scheme of things. Sometimes that money is so small, and you're and the difficulty you're adding to the whole situation. Is it really worth it for an extra 250? And then they're never going to call you again because you're so difficult. Producers will be arguing over splits on records that are not going to get any royalties. Like, what are you arguing for? Just get the song out. You're not going to get any publishing on this. In fact, shit, most songs that you'll ever make are not going to make you shit on the back end. Like, they're just. It takes so many streams to get paid. Like on Spotify, you got like a million streams on a song that you produced, right? Not as an artist, but if you're the producer, that royalty is so small. It's like a $250 or something for every million streams on Spotify. So sometimes people will be arguing over some dumb shit. Like you're not going to make any money. Just let's let's keep it moving. You know, next one, on to the next one. Keep Keep the credits coming. The resume is where you make the money. You need those credits. Yeah, yeah. And people definitely don't forget if, if you're a hassle to work with, People never forget that. Be a good person. That's another. That's another thing. Just be a good person, man. Just be. Just just be easy to talk to. Just you know, have fun with people. Yeah, yeah. You gotta be likable. That likable factor is everything. So you guys have accomplished so much. What are you looking forward to? Like, what's next on the on the agenda? I think for us, I mean, we we've accomplished a lot. You know, we we want to take it to the next level. Of course, we're at a point where we want to break into the A-list artists more. You know, be able to be in that circle. So I think our goal for this year is really to get our name as one of the biggest producers in rap by, you know, by the end of the year, we want to be that next Murda or that next Metro Boomin brand, right? And then, of course, in the future, we also are looking at other investment opportunities now that we're, we have some money to spend. Like we put a lot into the studio, possibly down the road, other studios, you know, buildings, you know, whatnot. So we just want to make sure that we don't we know as a producer, you have a two-year window, really, right? Once you pop, two years and people are sick of you. Right? It's just how the shit works. Um, and then you have to reinvent yourself or, or you sign other producers and start building an empire kind of thing, right? Uh, I think you see that a lot with some the major producers. But that's why we know this money may only be lit for like two years. So we got to figure out a way to make sure that we take advantage of it, you know? Yeah, make sure we don't have to go back to our shitty day jobs that we had before. <laughs> right. No doubt, man. So, uh... Where can the people find you online and on BeatStars, man? Uh, drop the tags and everything on social media and all that. Not your pictures, though. Keeping um, them mysterious. Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah, IG is, is bankroll got it. Same with BeatStars. Same with Twitter. I think we have a Facebook, too. But that's pretty much, you know, we, we're most active on, on IG. So shoot us a DM, hit us up there. We don't post our pictures, but we post all the, the songs that are coming out. So like today we had a, a song by Ola Rant come out. Really dope artist out of Atlanta. So that came out today and we got a big song coming out next friday that you guys will probably hear about soon so yeah that's where you can find us that's dope man well, we appreciate you guys coming on dropping gems giving uh our listeners a lot of insight can't wait for this episode to drop and that's pretty much it man so uh that being said we're gonna get up out of here i am ill brown it's your boy trucks and this is your girl candy and we'll catch you on the next episode peace, peace. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Beat the Block. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps the show a lot. See you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.